Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice and palliative care and serious illness leader and staff member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise, relevant, need to know to help you in your role. And the booking of our podcast is always a quote or something to make you think about life in general, but also about the topic of our day. So our guest today, I'm super excited about. He's been probably one of the most influential mentors in my life. So welcome to Quint Studer. Quint is the founder of the Studer Community Institute. So Quint, it's so good to have you. Well, thank you. You know, looking at you, Chris, and talking to you, you know, I'm a baseball guy and I almost feel like uh, a coach that was lucky enough to have Derek Jeter play for him. And, um, and Derek Jeter went and surpassed anything that the coach ever did. And looking at you and your success, you've certainly surpassed me in many, many ways. And I'm uh, excited to be with you. I want to congratulate once again, your organization for being named the best places to work. So, um, you know, one thing a friend of mine said one time is, one thing you and I will never agree on is who should be thanking who. So thank you. <laughs> That's the amazing thing of learning, right, Quint? You don't know where one begins and the other ends. And hopefully there'll be a lot of cool things I'll pay forward to you that you taught me over the years today. But first off, Quint, just share with our audience, what do they need to know about you? I think they need to know I started out as a special ed teacher. I think that's really important because as a special ed teacher, you learn how to take complex things and break them down to simple steps. And I think if I hadn't spent 10 years working with special needs children, I wouldn't have had the skill set because I don't think it's any different when we're leading an organization. It's not making it more complex. It's making it simpler. With that, um, I'm celebrating. I just celebrated um, 39th years, 39 years of recovery, sobriety. So um, I think I've done that mental health journey for people. And I think when this came about, the fact that I'm on the board of Hazelton Betty Ford, the fact that I've had my own mental health journey has really helped me look at the pandemic and hopefully bring solutions to them. And the other thing, of course, is I think with you, when we were together, I've got a, you know, always had a love for middle management. You know, I don't have an MBA. I don't have an MHA. Um, I got thrust into leadership like most people. My boss quit and they said, well, could you do this on the interim? That's how most people enter leadership interim. And um, with little or no training, and it wasn't because it just wasn't something people did. And I had to, I went to the library and looked up things like Tom Peters and Search of Excellence and Ken Blanchard and those types of things. And then when I got to where um, I was uh, in Chicago, you know, I, I got to work in a program with a guy named Mark Clement at Holy Cross Hospital that believed in training and development. So I think I've, my heart's really always been helping those difficult jobs, you know, that difficult job that everyone has, particularly frontline managers and supervisors that are squeezed in the middle, have the skills to be successful, because that's the toughest job in healthcare in the middle. Wow. Well, Quint, one of the things that led to being privileged to have you on our podcast today, I sent you an email that I'd love to just say in front of our listening audience. And so you gave us a shout out for our Best Places to Work Award. And we actually had four TCM members in the top 50 list. And I just kind of paid forward to you and I said, I wonder if anyone's ever done a study of how many people have been affected by you in some way that are on that list. And I give you the analogy, Tom Landry was one of my heroes growing up and there were so many NFL coaches that traced their roots from actually having coached under Landry. Today, the comparison would be Nick Saban, but I'd be willing to bet you 75% of the people, whether they were coached by the Studer group, mentored by you, worked with you, 
um, probably can trace the fact that they're on best places to work because their exposure to you and the wisdom that you shared over the years. And I just want to say thank you. You made such a profound impact on my life. And most importantly, um, this wasn't a lexicon I learned from you, but as a principle, you have to be a conveyor of the blessing, not a consumer. And I think it's something I've learned from you. Oh, thank you. What are you doing these days, Quint? How are you keeping yourself busy? Because you sure are busy. I'm very busy um, and I love it. You know, my wife and I used to talk about retirement and I'm like that surgeon. For those of you who've ever been in a hospital, if you give a surgeon a going away party on a Tuesday night, Wednesday, he's walking or she's walking the hallways looking for a CME class to go to. So I'm, I'm very busy. We're busy in two areas. One is helping communities. You know, I wrote this book called Building a Vibrant Community and how to help small and mid-market cities keep their talent home. In fact, I was just in Lafayette, Louisiana and Stillwater, Oklahoma in that arena. And the other thing is, um, I have a new book out called The Calling, Why Healthcare is Special. And I really wrote a book. Uh, it's really, if the word I would use is to replenish ourselves. And I wrote a book that basically, how do you replenish yourself and your teams? Because if you replenish yourself and your teams, you replenish the organization. So I, I'd say I'd three areas I'm focused in on. One is certainly the emotional well-being. I'm calling it that versus mental health and stress and trauma. Because I think, Chris, we've been in trauma, but we haven't called it trauma. So we've been calling it stress and we've been misdiagnosing where we're at. So we're treating stress when 50% of our employees are, are suffering some type of trauma. So how do you treat them? The second thing is, is truly this whole idea of how do you create relationships? Because we, we think we've lost our trust a little bit in healthcare because everything's moving so quick. People are questioning, is this right? Do I have what I need to do the job? So we're really sort of going back and saying, how do we take something like a rounding instead of rounding to check a box? How do we use it to build relationships and trust? And the third component, and you and I talked before we got on the air, is how do you provide training and development to people and replenish them at the same time? Because sometimes when you start training and developing people, if you're not careful, you, you put too much on the plate and you overwhelm them. And then they, instead of walking out feeling better about learning skills, they're feeling more exhausted. So where's that fine line? And of course, that's stuff that you and your organization and your university is really, you are seeing around the corner. So I commend you because you were way ahead of most people in healthcare. Appreciate you saying that, Quint. That's something that we really do struggle with because, you know, our organization, we do work on culture, um, but we also try to help them operationalize whatever challenge. And there's so much coming at healthcare organizations. Um, a friend of mine coined the term, he said that um, when you get a lot of innovation that gets stifled, he calls it innovation constipation. At some point it comes and it all comes at a quick at a quick pace. And I think we're alive at the time. I actually read a book my wife gave me for Christmas. I'm kind of a history buff. And that things happen in cycles. And we're alive at a time where it feels like all of this change is being crammed into a short amount of time. So that external environment is forcing people to try to do a lot of things at the same time. But yet you're right on point. It's In some cases, it's impossible. You really freeze people if you throw too much at them. And I don't know, are you seeing the same thing with people just trying to do too much? Yes. In fact, I went to an organization and they must have read every book I ever wrote. And they had like 11 things their managers should be doing 
And they said, what do you think? I said, why don't you bring it down to one, one or two? Franklin Covey said, if you do one or two behavioral changes or adjustments, you have about a 90 plus percent chance of success. The third thing drops it down to 50. And so what happens, Chris, when you get too many things, you're doing them sometimes and usually. You're better off taking one or two things and doing it always. And that will get you farther. So, yeah, I think it's it's not people don't want to be successful. They have this thought more is better and more is not better. So one of the things that we always try to do in an organization is reduce what we call it, narrow the scope. You know, going when I was at the University of Louisville, Tom Miller, CEO, 485 leaders in the room. When I talked about narrowing the scope, you could almost hear a sense of relief over all the managers just going, that's what we need to do. And then, you, so you pick one or two things you really do well and see what the impact is. Then you know what the next step is. So I think sequencing is a leadership skill that gets not talked about a lot, but really, how do you sequence it? And how do you make sure you build on each other instead of throwing too many things at any individual? You get overwhelmed. I mean, I had a went to work out and she told me, when you do this exercise, you do these two things. And then she threw a third one in. I said, I can't do it. Give me, give me the two things, how I should move this and that. When you went to three, I was overwhelmed. That's really good, Clint. Well, there are really two main questions I had for you today. And I, I know in your early career, um, in fact, I don't, you, you may not remember when I first met you, but I do. I was at Covenant Hospice in Pensacola. I was a young CFO, 25 years old, and you did this amazing community event just talking about the journey that you had at Baptist Hospital. And I walked away just just enthused. I had a fire and a passion that I just wanted to make a difference. And um, we, through our listening audience and our platform at TCM, we work with so many great staff and also leaders in the hospice and palliative care realm. So my first question to you, Quint, you've got so many years of wisdom. What would you say to hospice and palliative care staff, especially they're war weary, like a lot of people in healthcare. Um, and so what wisdom would you have for them? Yeah, I'll give you three replenishers, Chris, because you know me really well. Um, I, I like to give tactics and tools that people can implement because I used to go out and talks and love the speaker, but then realized once I got out, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So let me give you three quick repl- replenishers. Number one is, and I think everyone can do this. If you can do it in a small group, it benefits. So if you can, you know, I don't care if it's three staff members, five staff members, you can do it virtually. I've done it virtually with people. You ask them, the question is, why are you doing this? Why are you in healthcare? And and it's unbelievable. I was at Rock Castle Regional Hospital in Mount Vernon, Kentucky. And a lady explained that when she first got into healthcare, she worked at a facility, sort of a long-term um, facility for people with a lot of challenges. And she met two young kids there, you know, young boys, um, lots of challenges, physical, mental, and the whole bit. Well, she went on to become a nurse, a acute care nurse, went to Lexington, Kentucky, was a long-term nurse, but decided to move back home to Mount Vernon. And the only job that was open was in the long-term care facility. And her first thought was, I'm an acute care nurse. I don't want to work in a long-term care facility. But it's the only job they had. She walked in and guess who were residents of that facility? The two boys she had met 20 years ago or so. And she said, God's telling me this is where I need to be. So the first question I always have people answer is, why are you in healthcare? Because there's a DNA, there's a calling. And everyone that got into healthcare did it for a specific reason. 
And usually they want to be helpful and they want to be useful. And they've been like that. These people leave, they go home and they're in the neighborhood helping, you know, they're in the church helping. So I ask people to go around and say, why are you in healthcare? And they share it. And it really opens up some miraculous stories that even though they've worked together, they've never really talked about it much. Then the second thing I do, which is really key, the second question, but don't give the second question to you finish the first question. You say, why do you work for the organization you're working in? Because, you know, one thing about healthcare people is we have a lot of wonderful tendencies, but we do have a tendency that's called we're good at noticing what's wrong. Because in our job, that's what we're paid to do. We're paid to go in and look at pressure ulcers and skin. We're going to talk about medication. You know, we're, we're taught in every job of healthcare, whether it's hospice, palliative care, to check to see what's wrong. And if we don't, we don't do that. We, that's what we notice at work. I, I tease healthcare people. I said, can you ever go to a restaurant and just enjoy the meal without thinking how they should run a better restaurant and what they should do? And if you were running this, the changes you would make. So what we try to help healthcare people say is, tell me why you work where you work, because you could work anywhere. Because we sometimes fall into victimization in healthcare, and we're so busy complaining about where we work, we start felt feeding ourselves that. Like there's some utopia out there, and there isn't. And it's amazing, just that those two questions change the mental mindset, rewire the brain. Because all of a sudden you'll hear people say, I could work here, but I work here. I've worked here for 30 years. This is my family. When my husband died, these were the people that rallied around me. Gee, I drive by another provider to work here and here's why. So that's a strong replenisher that I think really works. So, you know, that's one of the things we do. Second thing we do is another tip. I got this from Mark Goldston. He's a physician, um, specializes in suicide, suicide prevention and intervention. And what he does is you have people sit down and, and you, can, you can do this virtual. You can do it individually if you'd like. And you have them think about in the last six months, when was something that they didn't think they'd get through? Now, you can go back farther. You, you can go back as, as much as you can. So you've got somebody's thinking, I didn't think I could get through my divorce. I didn't think I, I, I talked to a guy yesterday, Chris, at our Blue Wahoo Stadium, Rod Fullerton, and his wife died in July. And I saw him and I said, how you doing, Ron? He goes, I'm doing terrible because it's still so fresh. In his mind, he's still thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But you go back and you say, think of something that you've gotten through that you didn't think you'd get through. And then they think about it. While you were going through it, how did you feel? You know, and my, my father passed away, great hospice care. Um, you're still wondering, how am I going to get through this? You know, what's going to happen to my mother? I know what's happened. She came to me. Um, you know, those types of things. How do you feel? Angry, lonely, frustrated, fearful. So you do that. Then the third point you ask is, well, you got through it. So how did you get through it? And most people will say, and we ask them the question, what did you do? Did you call someone? Did you talk to someone? And do you know those that got through it will normally say they talked to someone they reached out. And the message here is you are now thinking that you will never get through what you're going through. And how do we know we will? Because we've gotten through other things we didn't think we'd get through. That's very much used in suicide prevention and, and intervention. And I think it works extremely well. My colleague, Dan Collard, just did a 
for Arden Healthcare in Tulsa. And he said the whole room changed when they walked through that. And I'll give you my third one, and it's a, a simple one. Stories. Um, I just um, wrote on my book, Calling, Airmark has a, an, um, has a chapter in there, a case study. And they basically just learned stories. And what happens is we, we forget these stories. We forget these incredible stories. So everyone brings, tell me a story when either a coworker made a difference, you made a difference, what you heard from a family. You know, I, I still remember the story years ago where um, a, a gentleman passed away and, and who had become this lady's family were the caregivers. They had become her family. And she wanted to make sure they came to the funeral. Now that she wanted to make sure she came to the funeral, she reserved the four chairs next to her for those caregivers. You tell those stories because the whole goal is to replenish ourselves. And sometimes we're so busy working in our job, we don't work on our job. So those are just three quick replenishers that I think if the audience tried them, they'd find that they work really, really well. That's awesome. And you know, one of the things I learned from you is, and I carried it back to me when I came back to Four Seasons Hospice and now in TCN and all of our members now do it as mission moments, taking some time and actually telling those stories. We even start our board meetings now with a mission moment because, you know, where everybody's ready to jump in the financials and the statistics, it just frames everything else you're going to talk about the rest of that meeting. So, Quint, one additional question then, and then we'll have to wrap up. Might be the same answer, but what about specifically to leaders? Because um, you and I were talking before the show, especially those middle manager leaders, they have some of the toughest jobs in healthcare. They're getting it from leadership in terms of all of these things we have to navigate, and then they're dealing with staff, dealing with all of their challenges. And so, what wisdom might you have for them? Really become an expert in mental and emotional well being. And, and the sad part about is we've had this pandemic, but the thing is, it's finally made it you cannot not talk about emotional well-being or what some people call mental health so if people go to www.thegratitudegroup all one word um dot i think it's dot com or dot org they'll find it um i have a whole series that i did on this and, and one of the things i do chris and I'll, i know we got time limitations is i basically have a, a video on what is well-being what is stress and what is trauma and for the listeners, if you want to go real quick, stress is you go back to normal. Trauma is you don't go back to normal. And that's a defining difference. So what I do then is I have a one through 10 pain scale. So you have your people, even your middle managers, everyone fill out this one through 10 pain scale. Chris, about 50% of the people in healthcare will say they're a seven to a 10. That means heavy stress or trauma. 40% will say they're a four, five, or six, which is stress. 10% will say they're in well-being. But what we've done now is we've told the organization it's okay to talk about it. And it's particularly important in hospice and palliative care because you're not seeing them every day. You're not yep. looking in the eye. So it's easier to go through pain and not have anyone know about it, even managers. The second thing we show them is we use a tool from the Fall Firefighters Foundation which is a color-coded tool where people can sort of say, where am I at? Am I thriving? And am I struggling? And I'm really difficult? Or am I at the end of the, end of the rope here? No light at the end of the tunnel. 
we have found that having those conversations opens up the door to conversations because all our organizations actually provide benefits for emotional well-being, <clears throat> but they just aren't used. What's used is antidepressants, which is nothing wrong with them, but there's other things. And then what we do is we created a toolkit, Chris, all for everything's free. So I would, nothing cost a dime here. We created a toolkit along with TriHealth in Cincinnati, Ohio, where people can download it and can talk about some self-awareness things, some breathing techniques, but every organization then can personalize it to their own EAP program, their own insurance product. And then when I wrote my book, The Calling, I had a chapter in there on emotional well-being, stress, and trauma. It got to be where so big, it got 40 pages. You can download a, a free book on emotional well-being. I think the best thing we can do for mental managers is to have this conversation and, and show empathy and, and show we're, we're, we're with them. And then you can also get into the next step, which is always, you know, what's your, how can I help you? What skill set would you like to develop and what barrier can I remove? That That's really, really it because sometimes we just have to help with barriers. But I think the fact that to go in and have these talks we just did a thing again the other day. Dan Collard was in an organization. The COO wrote him a note, said, since I've had these conversations that you've taught me on relationships and emotional well-being, stress and trauma, I had four people open up to me that had never opened up to me before. Because really, when you look at palliative care and hospice, you're out to provide healing to others, even in the most difficult time. But, you know, you know, you got to heal heal yourself. And so we've heard a lot about self-care, but I really think these tools, uh, the feedback we've been getting on them is just awesome. And that's why we provided them for free because we thought, you know, you can't charge for something like this. It's just too vital. And you don't want anyone to say, well, we didn't have money or we couldn't afford it. So we give everything away. So I think it's that. How do we, one, grab the emotional well-being, stress and trauma, and then that ties right into replenishment tools. They're sort of close cousins. Quint, well, thank you. And Quint, thank you for all the work you continue to do. You know, you're a guy who, you know, you could have actually said, okay, I've, I've had my impact, I'm done. Um, in fact, I love where you started. In fact, I've always say that, you know, I think we're both people of faith. There is no Hebrew word for retirement. And so you really do show that the last act of your life can be the most important act. Um, and I think that's that speaks a lot to the work that we do in hospice and palliative care. So just on behalf of all of us, thank you for what you continue to do. And I'm going to keep looking for ways for you and I to partner. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, collaboration is the other thing. I think when I've seen some positive things in healthcare lately, we're a bit becoming a lot more collaborative. This pandemic has forced us to work together. Hospitals have never used to talk to each other or calling each other, you know, so we've become more collaborative. And I think that's what the employees like too. They don't like to see us fight and compete. We're all in the same, we're all in this together. So, and you've always been a collaborator, Chris, from day one, you've always been bigger than, hey, what do we do? It's how do we make the industry better? And you've been like that you probably came out of the womb trying to collaborate with the kid. <laughs> well, you know, we believe in it so much, Quint. We put it in our name, Teleos Collaborative Network. So, uh, <laughs> so well, Quint, thank you. And I'm going to leave our uh, listeners with a, a bookend quote. And this one actually is from Quint. And it's one I requote quite often. Never underestimate the difference you can make. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks. <laughs>